0: showtime sports presents showtime boxing with eric raskin and kieran mulvaney hello and welcome to another edition of showtime boxing with raskin and mulvaney along with my co-host eric raskin i am kira mulvaney but you know that isn't really the whole story as our most loyal listeners surely appreciate this is real showtime boxing with raskin mulvaney and Alfie. and to be honest Alfie the cat is is the anchor of this whole enterprise. Um but look, Eric, you know this, but listeners don't. it's been a bit of a tough week or two because uh, Sarah Jean and I were actually worried we were about to lose Alfie. Uh, he had been steadily losing weight for a few months and now you know that weight loss was becoming precipitous. Uh, we took him to a vet who diagnosed lymphoma in his digestive system, um, but a biopsy found no cancer and did a second biopsy. so, It's possible he actually doesn't have cancer. He has something else. Um, And the downside is that we don't know what he has. But the upside is he's now on a course of steroids that has him acting like Alfie again and also eating like the proverbial orange colored horse. Uh, <laughs> I'm afraid to get too optimistic. Anyone who's gone through all of this with with pets, companion animals knows that it's, it's difficult, that eventually this is the thing that happens unless your pet is a Greenland shark or an elephant or a tortoise or something. At some point you have to deal with their mortality and he is about to turn 13 years old uh but just seeing him happier and hungrier gives me hope so yay alfie um we need him around because without him this podcast is going to go to the dogs <laughs> <laughs> uh, quite a quite a
1: dad joke to end with there and uh, you are a cat dad so you're you're allowed to make such <laughs> jokes i suppose um well I'm, i i'm very relieved uh with caution still of course but uh-huh. uh, but relieved that the news appears much better than initially feared as we've discussed off podcast all week and uh, as you just mentioned there is an element to pet ownership that unequivocally sucks uh, and it is the part where the pet's life ends uh, it's it's awful i've been through it i will go through it again whether i like it or not but you know assuming yeah. you assuming you like the pet in question you want as much time with him as possible before the end comes so here's hoping alfred t cat the unofficial third host of this podcast, the <laughs> anchor, as you said, has several more good years in him, and uh, and you can let him know we don't test for PEDs here at Showtime Boxing with Raskin <laughs> and Mulvaney. He should do what he's got to do.
0: Dude is roided up, man. <laughs> yes. It's just it's it's incredible. You should you should just see the calories he's he's putting away there, and so demanding. And good thing he's only at the moment five pounds; otherwise, he'd be wreaking havoc. <laughs> right? You may have to rename
1: him Jarrell T
0: Cat. <laughs> I could say that, yes. right? That's a reasonable joke. You could, Once you've sure, been popped like 3 that.
1: times, we're allowed to yeah. safely make jokes. Yeah, I think that
0: I think that's fair. I won't. Right. But, but I Okay, so being, it's only me that's potentially getting fired for that <laughs> there, remark. There you go. All right. You and you um, and Alfie will host the show without me. They, what a show that would be. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say it was a good show, but I said what a show that Right. would be. It would be different. It would be different. I'd enjoy it. for as long as i was able to do it which would be the one show
1: right one then canceled but a
0: glorious brief run it would be what a a, a way to go um this week on the actual podcast we'll be welcoming a first-time guest undefeated rising 154 pound star jesus ramos jr to chat with us ahead of his showdown with erickson lubin on the canelo charlo pay-per-view We'll cover all the latest news, including a potentially landscape-shifting development in women's boxing. I'll test Eric's knowledge in the fight game, and I'll also give him his next top five challenge. But first, after what has been a very slow period on the boxing calendar of the last few weeks, things begin to swing back into gear this Friday. We've got a showbox card to preview, Eric.
1: Yep, it's a triple header from Boeing Center at Tech Point in San Antonio, starting at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 8.30 local time in San Antonio featuring six fighters with a combined record of 88 wins, two losses, and two draws. The main event is a 10-rounder in the Super Bantamweight division, pitting a hometown fighter, Ramon Dinamita Cardenas, a 27-year-old who has won 10 straight to run his record to 22-1 with 11 knockouts, against a prospect making his U.S. debut, Panama's Rafael Pedroza, who is 15-0 with 11 KOs, all 15 fights in Panama. Pedroza was an excellent amateur, going 92-14 and, and nearly making the 2016 Olympics, ultimately losing in the finals of the qualifiers to Robesi Ramirez. Seems on paper like the unbeaten Pedrosa is the A-side here, but Cardenas has the home ring advantage. Kieran, what do you make of the matchup? Any thoughts on the disadvantage Pedrosa may be at fighting in San Antonio? And you're trailing me 66-64 in our picks competition. What's your prediction for this one?
0: I think this may be a bit of a tough night for the hometown boy, Cordena. I'm I'm not sure how much of a disadvantage really it's going to be for Pedroza being in, in San Antonio. He looks pretty solid to me, actually, from what little I've seen of him, uh, Pedroza. Technically very sound, as you'd expect from such an accomplished amateur, but he's got some bite, too. That His left hand is very active. He works behind a stabbing jab that he throws repeatedly. You can turn that jab over into a hook very nicely, too. Um, Cardenas looks to me as if he generally likes to try and get inside, and he might be a bit of a take-one-to-give-one kind of a guy, but I think he's going to struggle to get past that bang-bang-bang jab of Pedroza. One factor, Cardenas is listed at 5'5", which is a perfectly decent height for a super-bantamweight. Pedroza is 5'11". Mm. 5'11 and 122 pounds. Even Sebastian Fundora thinks that's nuts. Um, and unlike Fundora, Pedrosa fights tall. But I like the fact that from what I've seen of him, and again, there's always this qualification with Showbox uh, fights. From what I've seen of him, right. he, you know, sometimes when we think of somebody fighting tall, we we kind of picture them fighting on the back foot a little bit behind their jab. But I, he doesn't look like he does that. He looks like he's really very assertive with his with his jab and and, and able to you know follow up with power punches after that. Um, I see Pedroza just controlling this from the outside. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if he starts beating Cardena up a little bit. Um, it looks to me like he's very accurate, Pedroza. Uh, he, he he throws a lot of punches. I, I think it might just be hard for Cardena to do what he wants to do in there. And I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being a stoppage with Cardena just getting lumped up. Um, maybe an eye-closing or so, as he just he just can't quite cope with what pedroza brings i'm gonna go ahead and say a referee or corner stoppage in round eight here in pedroza's favor okay
1: um yeah i mean i said pedroza was the a side on paper you seem to back that up with what you saw from what i've watched of both guys i think he has to be the favorite here and he will be my pick the the question for me was whether to pick him by ko or decision um despite 11 ko's and 15 wins I don't get the sense Pedroza is a great puncher. Uh, He scored most of his KOs when the competition was soft, but since (laughs) stepping up a bit, it's been all distance fights, which are most of what you can find of him on YouTube. Only a handful of the early KOs are out there, but I don't really think he's a big puncher. He's tall, as you said, built like a boxer, has skills, didn't strike me as overly aggressive. He does have—the punch that stood out to me was the, the short left hook that he throws. Um, but, you know, it's more a sharp, accurate punch than a heavy, torquing, turn-the-lights-out mm-hmm. kind of
0: punch. Mm-hmm.
1: So, against a fighter of Cardenas' solid quality, my first instinct was to say that Pedrozo wins a decision. But, looking at Cardenas some more, he has some serious defensive deficiencies and, and a real willingness to take shots. He uses a version of the shoulder roll defense— but he's no Floyd Mayweather or James Toney. He gets hit a lot. Um, he obviously has a lot of confidence in himself, a lot of belief that he can take what's coming at him. And it makes him an entertaining fighter, and he loves to fire bombs in return and all that. But I think his style increases Pedrosa's chances of snapping yeah. this little decision streak and scoring a KO. But all that said, I will create a little swing here because I, I still kind of lean decision. I, I I think that's the slightly more likely outcome. Um, and I don't think it should be too close of a fight, although the hometown thing would make me a bit nervous if I were Pedroso or if I were someone betting money on a unanimous decision. I'm almost tempted to say really horrendous split decision in Pedroza's favor where he <laughs> wins easily, but the one judge screws it up. I'll just go ahead and, and say unanimous decision in a, in a fairly clear-cut fight uh, in Pedroso's favor
0: it is texas after all texas is gonna texas so yes you know anything we'll if it goes all <laughs> 10 rounds the the
1: scorecards could say just about anything at the end of it
0: <laughs> indeed um the co-feature looks on paper like a serious clash of styles uh, a 10-rounder in the featherweight division on the one hand we have argentina's Mirko cuello 12-0 with 11 of those 12 wins coming by ko against la's rudy garcia who is 13-0-1 with just two ko wins on his record eric Tell us a bit about these fighters and just how different their boxing styles are. So it's interesting. You you said on paper it looks like
1: a total clash of styles, and that's true on paper. And then you watch them fight, and the styles actually aren't so different. It's just one guy has major pop in his mitts and one does not. Um, a, A bit of background on each fighter. Cuello was an outstanding amateur, uh, represented Argentina in the 2020 Olympics. Uh, Garcia, also a tremendous amateur. He fought Shakur Stevenson in the Junior Olympics and was on the Mexican national team. Cuello's the younger guy here. He's just 22. Rudy Garcia is 26. Cuello, despite being so young and having only 12 fights, has faced the better opposition for the most part. Uh, His last four opponents were a combined 62 and 4, and what's amazing is, is he scored first-round knockouts against three of the four. Uh, The other one lasted into the sixth before getting stopped. But undefeated Michel Da Silva, who was 13-0, KO'd in one. Undefeated Levi Frias, 12-0, KO'd in one. The more experienced Antonio Guzman, 23-3, KO'd in one. The power would appear to be real, especially to the body. It was body shots that did the damage against Da Silva and Guzman. Cuello doesn't appear to have great defense. Uh, Frias tagged him pretty good in the first round before getting stopped in that same round. Um, but Cuello does have a nice jab. He can box a bit, but he's ultimately a banger with heavy hands. And he may just be the next great Samson Lukowitz find. Uh, Garcia, he's not a slick boxer either, despite the knockout rate that makes one assume he would be. He likes to stand in there and trade shots. He's fun to watch. He's just a solid all-around fighter who doesn't hit very hard, doesn't knock guys out, may or may not be able to compete at this level. So far, he's faced mostly weak opposition, the lone exception being 15-0 Victor Morales, and that fight, which was a highly entertaining and bloody scrap, ended in a split draw. The lone blemish on Garcia's record may be an indicator of where his ceiling is. So, yeah, not such a drastic clash of styles after all, just a drastic gap in power. And um, I know we don't make undercard picks, but I'll just say based on what I've seen, Cuello from Argentina has to be the favorite here. Uh, the opener is scheduled for eight rounds at Welterweight, and it features a familiar face, Freudus Rojas, who is a perfect 11-0 with 11 KOs, coming off a knockout win on Showtime in July over Diego Sanchez. He meets the Freddie Roach train, Saul Bustos, who's trying to bounce back from the lone loss on his record of 15-1-1 with eight KOs.
0: Kieran, your thoughts on Rojas and Bustos? I was just watching... Um... Bustos's most recent win over martin martinez last february he showed some skill um he moved in and out reasonably well you went to press the action went to ease off a little bit but there was like an awkwardness to to, to much of what he's doing you know you can watch fighters sometimes and and just the smoothness with which they they move and they transition from one uh one move to the next it's is just really obvious and you think oh that's everything flows so naturally for that guy it In contrast with Bustos, at times it looked a little bit like he was thinking, okay, now I've got to get into position to throw my right hand kind of a thing. And it just didn't look very smooth. Um, And it's difficult to know how good he really is. His quality of opposition is not good. Um, He has not for anyone really you've heard of and even fewer people with winning records. Uh, Rojas, in contrast... I mean, we've seen him recently, as you you pointed out, and he just looks much smoother. His in-and-out movement is better. He commands distance better. He has superior height and reach and technique, and he punches much straighter. Bustos sort of loops and telegraphs his right hand, which is his main power hand, terribly. Um, So Rauhas has to be the favorite here. But you know what? I suspect, despite having just trashed Bustos, I think that his awkwardness will make him a tough, tough out. I think Rojas, for the first time in his career, is going to go the distance for the win here. But I do think that he's most likely to get that win. Rojas looks like he has a pretty high ceiling. I think Bustos may be already reasonably close to his.
1: All right. Uh, looking forward to this card. Uh, let's uh, let's welcome this week's guest now. Um, due to some technical issues, Kieran is sitting this one out. I'm flying solo. And it is my pleasure to welcome to the podcast one of the most exciting young fighters in the sport. He is 20-0 and 0 with 16 knockouts, and on September 30th faces Erickson Lubin in a mouthwatering clash in the co-feature to Canelo versus Charlo on Showtime pay-per-view. Jesus Ramos Jr., welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast.
2: Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me, Eric. I appreciate it.
1: So let's go back about two months. Uh, you were supposed to face Sergio Garcia on the Crawford Spence card, but you injured your left hand. Simple question to start. How bad was the injury? How's your hand now? It
2: wasn't too bad. I um it was bothering me from the beginning of camp. And um, you know, it was uh, it wasn't getting any better throughout camp. So I didn't want to worsen it. Worse, we didn't want to get for it to get worse. Um we still had a couple weeks of camp to go, plus the fight. We didn't want to have it be a, a bigger injury and having to sit out for, for a longer while, you know. Um so we 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 give it the time need it needed. Um, it was a three weeks, you not know, without punching, and um, it's back to normal, man. You know, I did everything they they asked me to do, um, everything, you know, and um,
1: it's but like I said, back to normal. I've had no problems this camp, and I feel good. Great. Well, I'm curious. What was it tough to watch? Ioannis Teles stop Garcia in three rounds and think, oh man, that could have been me. Yeah,
2: I mean, yeah, it was tough. It, I think it was tough for just uh, calling off the fight, you know. Right. Um, it was good that he got that that opportunity, man. You know, um, yeah, everything happens for a reason, you know. So, good for him. Um, we got we got a good opportunity as well. So, um, I'm just thankful for that.
1: Yeah, I was gonna say it could be viewed, I guess, as a sort of a blessing in disguise because the the yeah. Lubin fight is that much bigger. Is that the way you view it?
2: Yeah, yeah, that's the way I view it. You know, everything happens for a reason, and um, I think this is a bigger fight, a more important fight in my career, and um, I'm more excited about this fight.
1: All right, so so this is a, a big step up for you, though, compared to most of your opponents to this point. Clearly, though, you believe you'll win, or, or else you probably wouldn't be taking the fight. Um, was there maybe something you saw in Lubin's loss to Fandora specifically that, that you believe you can take advantage of that gives you confidence here?
2: It was actually... Um... The confidence I have in myself, you know, I don't feel like it's a it's a big step up. Um, I feel like I've fought uh, quality opponents. You know, I beat Brian Mendoza and I beat Vladimir Hernandez, who um, they keep upsetting people. You know, they, they 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 came back after I beat them. So, I mean, I think, uh, like, like I said, I'm not I, I have experience as Well, I fought some fighters and uh, I, I know what I can do in there, you know, so I'm confident in myself and in my skills and um that's why we took this fight you know and at at the end of the day that's what we're here for to compete man you know i want to i want to see where i'm at and um this is the way i do it uh, fighting the best
1: what did you think of his performance in stopping luis arias last time out any particular takeaways from how he looked in that fight he looked good um i feel like it was uh it was the right way to come back you know after
2: that Fondora loss so um it's good that he came back he got back into the winning column so We'll we'll, um, we'll see how it does uh, September 30th. Right.
1: Um, so something interesting that, that he said, um, you know, L- Lubin was 22 when he took a big step up in class and lost to Jumel Charlo. You're 22 now and taking uh, what I said was a step up to face him. You're not so sure it's a step up, but uh, it's generally viewed that way. And with all that in mind, he said, I think history repeats itself. What do you say to that?
2: You know, uh, like I said in the press conference, you know, I think um, it's two different, two different things happening. You know, um, right now, I'm at a different stage in my career than where he was at 22. You know, and um, he is definitely in a in a way different stage of his career right now at 27 than where Charlo was when he knocked him out. So I think it's it, it's not the same, um, and history is not going to repeat itself. And um, it's just a matter of me going in there and showing it.
1: Right. Okay. Um, now you're a Southpaw. He's a Southpaw. Uh, you face Southpaws in three of your last nine fights, I believe. Do you have a preference between fighting against lefties and fighting against righties?
2: Um, no, I mean, I have no problem with lefties. I feel like, um, uh, my lefties are uh, like a mirror, you know, um, a lot, a lot of uh, punches work a lot better with the le- with the lefty. I mean, I've, I've fought a lot of, um, right-handed fighters due to, uh, you know, it's just the normal. You know, everybody, everybody's mostly everybody's right-handed, so you're always uh, fighting right-handed fighters. But um, you know, I I feel like a left-handed fighter is not is not that complicated. Like I said, it, it, some punches are easier to connect. Um, with the with the left-handed fighter, you know, due to it's like a mirror. You fight, you basically fight yourself in the in the ring. You know, like a version of, of your style. So everything everything works a lot better.
1: I mean, and specifically, we always have to worry when it's lefty against righty. Worry about the head clashes yeah. and and such. So, is that one reason maybe that uh, fighting a lefty is better, a little less uh, chance of that?
2: Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of things like that, man. The front foot, uh, all all of that is uh, is is a struggle when you're fighting a, a a right-handed fighter. But with the lefty, like you said, uh, you don't worry about that,
1: right? Um. So. What does it mean to you as a young Mexican-American fighter that this fight is on a Canelo undercard? I mean, you've been on some big cards before. You fought on a a Tank Davis undercard, a David Benavidez undercard. But does this feel more special, somehow different from the others?
2: Yeah, definitely. I feel like, well, I mean, Canelo is a face of boxing. You know, he's the biggest star in boxing right now. Um, So it's huge. It's huge to be on this card. And, um, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity for me to be embraced by the, by the Mexican, uh, uh, fans, you know, I feel like I, I'm being, being Mexican American and, you know, mostly fighting, like you said, over, over here in in the U S, um, on, on cards that are, you know, more, more attracted to the, to, to U S fans. Um, it's not the same, you know, with Canelo being a Mexican fighter, it attracts all, all types of fans, man. And, I can win over some fans that I feel like especially being in the common event you know it's a bigger stage there's more people there's like I said a variety of fans and it's important that I show up that, that I show out you know so I could I could um, get, get more 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 fans get get known a lot more um, I think it's a it's a breakout fight for me um, you know I feel like most of my fights have been under the radar but uh, with this fight being on this big of a stage it's um, it's a lot if some
1: yeah. And it's even kind of interesting that uh, on this same card, you have big veteran names like Ugas and Barrios. I think under some circumstances, they might have made that the co-feature and your fight a little farther down the card. Does it does it sort of uh, inject a little extra excitement into it? The fact that they're the people who organize the card are saying that uh, Ramos against Lubin is, is the second biggest fight on this show.
2: Yeah, man, that's it's huge. You know, it's a, it's really an honor, um, and honestly, it's a huge responsibility. Um, and I, that's something that I'm aware of. So it's something that I'm taking very very serious. You know, I'm I'm focused in training camp. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do, uh, just for that same reason. You know, like I said, it's huge. It's a huge responsibility to be to be the um, the main event on such a huge card. So um I had to make sure I do everything right and uh, that that I like I said look good uh September 30.
1: Um so so specifically with Canelo being as you said the the face of boxing uh you know he's been one of the biggest stars in the sport for over a decade now um was he an idol of yours as you were when you were in the amateur ranks was he someone you looked up to modeled your game after at all when when you were first getting into boxing?
2: yeah he's somebody that I admire you know i want to say so he's not somebody that i kind of um that I kind of took after from from his style you know it's um there's different styles uh but I do admire his discipline I do admire his work ethic I admire the way he he carries himself and um you really gotta respect the way like i said he what well, he's done with his career the way he's taking it you know he's um i do i feel like no other Mexican fighter has done what what he's doing right now so like I said I respect him and, and admire him a lot.
1: Are are there other fighters that when you were a kid that you would say were kind of your your boxing idols or you know to just I guess who were some of your favorites when you first started getting into boxing?
2: Uh Ricardo Finito Lopez was is my, mm-hmm. my all-time favorite, um Marco Antonio Barrera and as well as um Juan Manuel Marquez. You know, just great technicians in there and uh, I love I love learning from them.
1: Yeah, those are wow. For from a technical perspective, it's hard to list uh, three names much better than those guys. I mean, Finito was pretty close to a, as perfect a boxer as, as we'll ever see. I would say. Yeah, uh, yeah, which,
2: yeah, he was great.
1: Which, which version of Barrera did you prefer watching? The Barrera the boxer or Barrera the slugger? Because he could do either.
2: The boxer, yeah, the boxer. Okay. I really loved the the game plan he he implemented with uh, Nassim. Nasim Ahmed. He he did a he did a wonderful job. Uh, just everything was was so smart, and um, yeah, yeah. You just I and I feel like uh, he did that for most of his career. Um, it's just that his skills were kind of uh, uh I felt like underrated. You know. a lot of people felt like he was more of a brawler, but he had great great defense. Uh, it was different. You know, it wasn't the point Maybe it was the defense. He was just, he was almost like running through the rain without getting wet. You know, he he was there, but he was still not getting hit clean. So. It's just different, you know, and I, and I really like to to learn from from his fights as well. Right.
1: Okay. Um. Just just how young did you get started in boxing? Obviously, you come from a boxing family. So, is it one of those things where, as far back as you can remember, you 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 were boxing, okay. or is that is that pretty much your backstory?
2: Yeah, yeah. As far as I can remember, um, we used to train in our garage. So mm. it was just a matter of walking out to my garage, putting on the gloves, and I start training. You know. My uncles were always there. They they were training pretty seriously, obviously. Um I was only four or five, you know, going in there hitting the hitting the bags, um, people recording me. Uh they had the, the you know, the big cameras, you know, just recording me. And um it was something that uh, you know, like I've I've always I've always loved. Uh going to the amateur shows, I'd get wrapped up and uh, just shadow boxing. Obviously I couldn't I couldn't fight yet. I was too small, but I would get wrapped up, shadow boxing. and People would be around me, you know, just uh, clapping, cheering me on. And it was, uh, I don't know, it was just beautiful. You know, just, that's something that I loved since I was really young.
1: Very cool. Um, so I know that you sparred with uh, Bud Crawford a, a couple of years ago. Um, and I uh, heard another interview you did uh, recently where you actually said that you we're not surprised by the way that he he dominated Errol Spence. Is that is that right? If people when people asked you for predictions before the fight, you said you, you said Bud's gonna beat him uh, comfortably. Was you was what you expected?
2: Yeah, yeah. And I actually um I told a couple guys at the gym who were like, oh, that I'm gonna bet. You know, what do you think? What do you think's gonna happen? This and that. And I was just like, you guys are gonna be so surprised at how easy Crawford just just um, beats him. And um, yeah, man, I, I really, I really believe that just because of, like I said, being in the gym with him, seeing what he can do, yeah, sharing the ring, ring with him as well, just his IQ, everything is, is, is crazy, man.
1: Yeah, I mean, it seems like one, one clear sort of common thread through uh, a lot of this conversation is that fighters, fighters with high IQs, and and great technique and true boxers are, are really what appeal to you that that it s- seems to be that that's uh that's your preference over the guys who'll stand in there and uh take a punch to give a punch
2: yeah yeah you know um i am a, a fan of the suit signs you know i like i just like how some boxers set up the shots the feints you know um i feel like it's an art you know and uh, i really like it a lot uh you know and and it's there's nothing bad with you know taking one to give taking two to give him one, you know, that's, 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 it makes it for an entertaining fight, but uh, not a really long career, you know, and um, that's something you got to be careful with. Right.
1: Okay. So, so last thing I want to just talk about then is kind of the future. What, what may come after this fight? And obviously you're not looking past Lubin, but assuming that you do beat him, what do you see in your immediate future? And I, I know you've beaten Brian Mendoza, maybe a fight with Tim Zhu if he also beats Mendoza. Is that on your radar?
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, um, we, get, we have to see what happens. You know, um, with Charlo, uh, you know he's a, he's a he's a champion right now. He's got the belt. that W.B. always going to that fight. You know, Tim Zu fight. So that'll be a uh, a belt that that gets freed up, and we'll see what happens. You know, in that fight, and then we'll go from there. Like you said, um, we gotta stay. Uh, we gotta focus on Lubin, get past Lubin, and then. And then we'll see what happens. You know, we'll see how things start moving in, in the in the weight in the weight class. The good thing about this weight class is that everybody's fighting everybody, so mm-hmm. there's always a there's always a you know there's always that you know where, where everyone's fighting each other and that makes for an entertaining weight division.
1: You're still comfortable making 154. You see yourself staying in this division a little while longer, then.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I felt like um, this is my weight class right now. You know, I feel good. Um, you know i was struggling to make 140 147 but 154 is is where I feel comfortable i feel like i can grow and be and be strong at this weight
1: uh well uh really looking forward to your fight uh against and lubin uh, on the 30th thanks so much for uh, taking the time to talk to us Jesus. Thank and you. uh good luck uh, against and uh, lubin
2: no thank you i appreciate you guys appreciate your time thank you
0: well, that was a great interview i'm really sorry that my connection crapped out just as we were about <laughs> yeah. to get going because he comes across as a super nice and thoughtful young man um like he obviously really wanted to offer real answers and not just boilerplate stuff he was thinking about your questions and um you know what I was really interested in were his were his answers to the fighters he looked up to i did not expect that right that was like from watching him uh, I wasn't expecting him to go for the super technical fighters there. i that that surprised me, but it's interesting. um I, I'm a big fan of Ramos, and I'm curious to see how far he goes as a fighter, and it's nice to know that he sounds like he's a really nice nice guy as well. He absolutely is, uh, or at least came
1: across that way in the 20 minutes or so that we spent uh, on Zoom. Uh, so, yes, uh, looking forward to big things from him. And perhaps most surprising about some of the fighters he named uh, is that like a guy like Finito Lopez had retired before Jesus Ramos was born, yeah. I believe. So I guess, I guess it was uh, old old tapes, DVDs, videos, et cetera, whatever format he was seeing when he was a kid that really uh, getting a glimpse at guys like Lopez and Barrera and all that and was really won there over.
0: Go. There you go. All right. It's time for the fight game. And after two weeks in which we happily relied on listeners to provide us with suggestions and do the work for us, it is time to do the work entirely ourselves. Um, And I'll say in advance, it's just a tricky one in that i wanted to like put little hints as we do as we try to do in the earlier clues and then mm-hmm. every time i tried to put a little hint it, i thought it was giving it away okay so the first three might be a little vague uh you'll get it by clue four but the first thing <laughs> may be a little vague so no so no literally no pressure here free hit okay all right
1: I, I like that setup and uh, except that i reserve the right to not get it by clue four uh, but but sure. only, only even, to it ex- by
0: Clue 2, and to show me up, so there you go. <laughs> right, well, I guess that's
1: possible. But I was going to say, I'll only truly feel shame if I can't get it by Clue 5.
0: I'd be shocked. But, you know, <laughs> here we go. Now okay. there's Right. pressure. All right. Number one. This rematch saw an experienced champion gain revenge over the 22-year-old who had taken his crown in an upset. Okay. So it's a rematch. An experienced
1: champ lost his title to a 22-year-old, but then gained revenge here in the rematch. So who, if anyone comes to mind that got upset by a 22-year-old... Um... Like, I don't believe that Randy Turpin was only 22 when he upset Ray Robinson, but it's that sort of thing. If there was a younger version, younger fighter who pulled off something like that, I may end up throwing that out there as my guess if I can't mm-hmm. come up with anything else, just in case Randy Turpin was 22 and I get to get to get really lucky here, but I, I'm almost certain he was older than that. Um, who else lost a title in a major upset to someone real young? I could be in totally the wrong era and totally the wrong weight range and nothing else is popping right to mind. So let's say the rematch in which Sugar Ray Robinson got revenge on Randy Turpin.
0: I might regret giving you this thing, but you are in the right time period. OK. All right. That's good to know. All
1: right. I appreciate that extra mini, mini clue along the way. Obviously, my guess was okay. not correct, though. You aren't saying you are in the right time period, <laughs> dot, dot, dot. And you got it. <laughs> And not only are you in the
0: right time period, you're incredibly precise. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, clue number two. Had Ring Magazine had an upset of the year category at the time, their first fight would surely have won. The rematch, however, did win fight of the year. Ooh, Okay.
1: Okay, so this was a fight of the year. Now, I could cheat and grab my ring almanac that's uh, so- somewhat within reach and <laughs> uh, just look at what fight of the years were in the 50s uh, or thereabouts. But, uh, okay, I will not do that. So the first one was a major upset and this rematch was the fight of the year. Um, Who were the other star champions of roughly that era? It wouldn't have been anyone at heavyweight, I don't think, unless... Is it possible that Ingemar Johansson was only 22 when he upset Floyd Patterson? I can't imagine that he was anywhere near that young. If he was, he was losing his hair quite prematurely. Uh... (laughs) But in the interest of not spending forever thinking about it, knowing once again being ninety-nine percent sure, I have another wrong guess here because the fighter is is too young or too old to uh, have possibly fit the first clue. I will just say Patterson Johansson too.
0: Also, not not a bad guess. Um, I now think wrong, of course, but um, I, I actually now that you know roughly where it is, this third clue might actually give it to you because okay. I've got a little clue in here that number three. This featherweight bout was considered a boxer versus puncher matchup. But while the winner was famed for his movement and defensive ability, he surprised everyone by taking the fight repeatedly to the loser.
1: All right. Now I I do believe that I have it because I started thinking who were the featherweight champs of the time. Immediately, I started thinking about Willie Pep. Then you said something about him being a defensive boxer. So Mm -hmm. I would not have in a million years known that Sandy Sadler was only 22 when he upset Willie Pep. No, nor did I. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were about to say, no, you've got the wrong guess. Willie Pep got upset by someone else, but Willie Pep didn't lose much. So uh, it's got to be Willie Pep, Sandy Sadler,
0: too you are correct all right you are correct yeah um yeah no i didn't know that and i was just looking around for for fights and uh and i was quite surprised to see that actually yeah that's a good Um, little factoid in there that uh, that i
1: don't think anyone other other than like extreme historians people who are alive at the time etc i feel like most people would have assumed he was somewhat of a veteran by the time he pulled that upset
0: um clue four which was the clue by which and i think actually i do you think you would have gotten it if i hadn't given away that you with that clue three if i hadn't given away that we were talking about 49 50 51 that kind of era it's, maybe, it's hard maybe to say I, I mean
1: my for my guess on number two even i would have been like kind of all over the i wouldn't have known to focus in that time frame roughly who knows if i might have started like wondering about upsets from the 80s or 90s or something where the guy got so Hard to say. I think I you definitely helped me out, whether I might have mm. thought of a, one with a featherweight who is a defensive boxer. Maybe that alone would have gotten me there, even if I had been thinking of various other time periods. So hard to say. It definitely it definitely helped focus me. And uh, I don't uh,
0: I'm I'm not sad that you gave me that little hint. But uh, what, what was clue you would for? have got it, I believe. this is i'm really confident you would have gotten this the winner's triumph would be short-lived as the loser would beat him again and again in often ugly circumstances all told the winner went one and three against the loser but 228 (laughs) eight and one against everyone else
1: yeah i think i probably would have gotten there and that even if i wasn't thinking of of this rivalry once you said that often ugly uh, yeah. as for the regarding their their later fights I, I think that would have tipped me off i'm about 98 percent sure i would have gotten it by clue four
0: even without the extra hand and number five uh, the winner was generally renowned renowned for showing real pep as he boxed his way around <laughs> his foes but against this one opponent it often looked as if his feet were stuck in sandy soil <laughs>
1: Uh, more dad jokes out of you clue clue five is ultimately an exercise in dad jokery most of the time how can we take these guys names or nicknames and make a really weak pun out of them and
0: uh you nailed it pep Pep and sandy well done for bonus points do you know the date and or the location uh, I, I mean you the, shouldn't know the exact date right before. right
1: uh and you already said something about 49 50 51 uh whatever so uh was it like 1950 it was 49 february was 49. 11th
0: 1949 at the garden oh um, yeah I didn't the know garden that was then <laughs> right it
1: was in new york i know that much. it was in new york
0: yes exactly
1: <laughs> okay all right. Good stuff. I like a little uh, change of pace in terms of a fight long before our lifetimes, but still with, with famous enough Hall of Fame fighters that we are right. we have full awareness of it. So, All right. Time for the news. And our main event this week is a potentially very significant women's boxing development involving arguably the best female fighter on the planet. I currently rank her number two pound for pound behind only Clarissa Shields, Amanda Serrano. Now, the fact that she's defending her belts against Danila Ramos, a 38-year-old boxer with a record of 12-2 and with one KO, is not at all newsworthy. What is newsworthy is that this fight on October 27th in Orlando, Florida, is scheduled for 12 three-minute rounds, which hasn't happened in a female fight since 2007. Kieran, how big a deal is this? Do you think it could start a trend And how are you personally feeling about not just the extra minute per round, but then the extra two, quote unquote, championship rounds as well?
0: So I've long been an advocate for women having the opportunity to fight either 12 rounds or three minute rounds or both. I think particularly with title bouts, 12 rounds has to be just standard for women's women's bouts, uh, even if you're uncomfortable with the whole three minute round thing. Um, I'm aware that there is an argument. That studies have shown, or at least a study that has been talked about, has shown that women are more vulnerable to concussions and therefore should only be fighting two-minute rounds. I'd be interested in examining that research more, but my thoughts on it are this. If women are that much more vulnerable to concussions that they can only fight two-minute rounds, they probably shouldn't be fighting at all. And while I'm certainly open to the notion, I I wonder if this is... a little bit of a misinterpretation of the actual study because part of the idea and part of the enthusiasm that I've had for three minute rounds is that women may be more likely to score a knockout if they're allowed to fight three minute rounds. Right. You know, how often have we talked about it's particularly you mentioned Claressa Shields, particularly with Claressa that she's had her opponents wobbled and hurt at one minute 45. And instead of having a minute and change the finisher off, she doesn't, and then you just pick back up again over and over. Are you really telling me it's better for women to be hit in the head and wobbled for two minutes, right. almost get knocked out, then go out and get hit for two more minutes? Is it better for them than it is to get knocked out at, say, two minute 40 of that round? I understand that those are not the only two scenarios. There are all kinds of different scenarios in between. but And I can see that a prolonged 12-round, three-minute round beating isn't in anyone's interests. But... I don't buy the argument that women are too delicate to fight three minute rounds. It does sound an awful lot like the arguments for women being banned from running marathons mm. as they were until the 1970s with the argument that it might make them infertile, um, which is obviously laughable now, but that was a seriously advocated argument at the time. Yes. Being hit in the head is very different from, from running, even running 26 miles. But uh, Personally, unless there's clear evidence why they shouldn't, I'm all about women fighting three-minute rounds. And it also seems fitting that it's Amanda Serrano who is the one who is sort of breaking that barrier. That just seems like an Amanda Serrano step to take. So I'm unsurprised that she is the one who is doing it. And I'm very curious to see what happens next in that regard, to be honest. Well said. Um, Splitting our news undercard in half, as we often do, Here's the other news about upcoming fights, um, or possibly not upcoming fights. Um, Let's talk, first of all, about a fight that we mentioned last week may be happening. By the end of this past week, looked like it absolutely was happening. And now it seems like it isn't. Uh, And in fact, almost certainly isn't. Um, Shakur Stevenson against Frank Martin looked like it was going to happen either on November 16th or December 9th on ESPN. There was lots of talk about it. Um, Bob Arum had mentioned that November 16th was particularly interesting, the the, the couple days before the Grand Prix there in Las Vegas. And then apparently Martin has now decided that he doesn't want to have the fight, Um, whether he or his people are behind that. uh, I'm not sure. Top rank seems very unhappy with it. But Shakur Stevenson, Frank Martin... Not on now, it seems. Um, On September 30th in Turkey, a meaningful heavyweight fight has been announced. Contender and one-time podcast guest Otto Valin against former cruiserweight titlist Murat Gassiev. Another one-time podcast guest, Oshaki Foster, has his next fight signed. He'll defend his belt against Eduardo Rocky Hernandez October 28th on the Zone. And Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou held a press conference this week ahead of their October fight. And Fury, as is his wont went shirtless, showing that he is likely to look in very different physical shape than <laughs> he sculpted Ngannou. Um Eric, your thoughts on any of these? So, yeah, Fury looked particularly out of shape.
1: Uh, now, he may not have to be in peak condition to be mm. Gano in a boxing match, um, and he does still have like eight weeks of training ahead of him, so probably the love handles we saw this week will shrink slightly, but... Boy, he's a strange guy in that, I mean, there's a lot of directions I could go with that <laughs> comment, but, you know, there was a time in my life when I looked okay with my shirt off, but that time has passed. I know what I have under there. I'm not embarrassed by it. You know, I'm 48 years old. I'm, I'm doing what I can. It's not the worst dad bod you've ever seen, but the fact is, I look better with my shirt on. Preferably a shirt that isn't too tight-fitting, by the way. Um, And I know this, and I'm realistic about it, and I'm not going out of my way to go shirtless in front of large crowds and cameras and so forth. So, you know, Tyson Fury is wired quite differently than I am. Um, (laughs) I'm so glad about that, by the way. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Uh, I do hope he gets in shape between now and the fight. I I I really don't think he can lose even if he comes in bad shape, but... If he did lose, what an embarrassment it would be for boxing. So I hope he shows up for this fight in half-decent shape. Um, As for the real fights that you mentioned, um, kind of a shoulder shrug on Oshaki's first defense. It's fine. Better to stay busy than to wait for only big fights. Uh, Valin Gassiev, that's not bad. Um, I still think Valin could be a factor at heavyweight. He's only 32. Good fighter. Hasn't been able to score a big fight since challenging Fury. He beat Dominic Brazil in 2021. That was his most meaningful win. Gassiev would perhaps be even more meaningful. Uh, he's been fighting in the 230s uh, since losing to Usyk in 2018, and he's been winning his heavyweight fights. So this is a solid fight. Stevenson Martin. It's obviously highly disappointing. I will be curious to hear. An excuse slash explanation from mm-hmm. the Martin camp. As of this recording, I have not seen one. But they'll want to say something because Shakur employed numerous duck emojis on Twitter, <laughs> and that's how people will perceive this yep. until or unless Martin offers a good explanation, whether that's that he got an offer for a different big fight, he suffered a significant injury, etc. But look, the fact is. The risk-reward equation isn't great for most potential opponents of Shakur Stevenson. He's an exceptional fighter who isn't yet a huge star. He isn't a cash cow. Um, So, I don't know. Call it a duck or call it a business decision or a little bit of both. Maybe there's more to this than we know, but it sure looks until he says something to convince people otherwise, like Martin doesn't want this fight. I almost said doesn't want that smoke. Those words were at the tip of my tongue, and then I was like, nope, nope, I'm a middle-aged white guy. <laughs> my, my kids have to go to school on Monday. I don't want them getting stuffed in lockers because their dad said, doesn't want that smoke on a they, podcast. They
0: already know, yep, yep, and they already know that periodically you've had your shirt off and shown your dad pod. so <laughs> it's embarrassing enough for Not in public.
1: <laughs> uh, ah, okay. my kids even worse. <laughs> my my kids have uh, have uh, have seen my dad bot, I suppose, and uh, oh, yeah. Okay. So now na- now I'm saying things that's things that will get them stuffed in lockers uh, <laughs> when they go back to school <laughs> on Monday. So anyway, where was I? Uh, bad look for Frank Martin till he explains himself. I think that's what I was saying. So okay, right. moving on. <laughs> uh, here are the other undercard items. Uh, shortly after we recorded last week's podcast. Trainer Brian Bomack McIntyre was arrested in Manchester, England, for attempting to board a plane with a gun in his luggage, and he remains there, awaiting a scheduled October 9th court date. Uh, because we can't go a week on the podcast without discussing the low blow debate, British heavyweight Daniel Dubois has formally filed an appeal of his loss to Alexander Usyk, seeking to have the result change to a no contest. Somewhere in Canada, Russ Amber is screaming right now. <laughs> uh, we also seemingly can't go a week without a PED story, as heavyweight Joe Cusamano tested positive for an unidentified banned substance following his June 24th win over Adam Konatsky. And lastly, sad news Mike Stafford, the Cincinnati based trainer of Adrian Broner, Rashi Warren, Robert Easter, Jamel Herring, and others, died Wednesday at the age of 67. The cause of death was not revealed. I know you met Mike Stafford at least a time or two, Kieran. So thoughts on him and any of these other news items? Um, to take the BOMAC
0: thing first, I don't know what he was thinking. Honestly, why take a gun to the UK? Although, you know, I have lived in states where gun ownership is quite high and people sometimes are just so used to having their guns with them, they sometimes forget that they've got them. And, and I think he flew private to the UK, so screening uh. can be a lot more lax there. So he might have had it in his luggage, not realized he had it in his luggage, maybe forgotten about it. I mean, otherwise it just doesn't make any sense. But uh, my guess is that it's something like that. Um, But the UK has a very different approach to firearms than we do. So um, I'm not sure what's going to happen there with Bo. but uh, I'm going to guess that his ability to return to England to be in Eubanks, the corner for Eubanks next fight, may be permanently compromised Mm -hmm. there. Um, But anyway... uh, I suppose it makes sense for Dubois and his people to file a protest and that they don't have much to lose, but it's getting pathetic now, to be honest. And your statement somewhere in Canada, Russ Anber is screaming is the safest comment that anyone's ever made on this podcast. <laughs> Love you, Russ. But yeah, um, um, but yeah. look, more importantly, I would like to talk a little bit about uh, Mike Stafford. Uh, Coach Mike was one of boxing's good guys. Uh, he was somebody who cared deeply about the young men in his care Whatever we think about Adrian Bronner and the person he is, he would have been a hundred times worse or dead without Stafford taking them under his wing and nurturing him and turning him into the boxer that that he was. And had Bronner continued to listen to Coach Mike, he'd surely be in a better place now. Um, and not only was Stafford a trainer of a number of champions and contenders, he did wonders for Cincinnati youth. And he also played a very important role with uh, USA Boxing. Um, he was never a seeker of the limelight. He was always happy to stay in the background, let his fighters' fists do the talking. He was a man who genuinely only wanted to do good by his people and who wanted to provide a pathway by which they could better themselves. Um, I haven't seen him since we were in Las Vegas for um, Bronner's Challenge of Manny Pacquiao, uh, but he's always such a lovely guy to be around and to, and to talk to when, when we did see him. Uh, so uh, a big loss to boxing, a big loss to Cincinnati, a big loss to the world, R.I.P., coach mike um finally besides the show box card we previewed at the top of the show not a whole lot else going on next weekend but i will quickly mention a few fights and you can comment on them if you wish eric uh on friday from corpus christi texas on espn luis alberto lopez defends his featherweight belt against joet gonzalez while zander zayas takes on roberto valenzuela jr in the co-feature and on saturday from commerce california on the a meeting of lightweight contenders, William Zapeda against Mercito Hesta. Anything of interest to you here, Eric?
1: The needle isn't moving a whole lot off any of these. I'm sure I'll watch all the fights you listed there, but not necessarily live. Uh, the Friday night fights sound like casual Saturday morning viewing to me. And uh, Zapeda Hesta is most likely a quick Sunday morning cram before we record the next podcast. Uh, Hesta is having a little rebirth here, actually, at age 35. He could be competitive against Zepeda, though I can't quite see him winning. Um, And I should mention, Zepeda, if he wins, may be the next available contender in the Alphabet rankings where Shakur Stevenson has the belt. So he'll be next in line to possibly come up with a reason not to face Shakur. Uh, (laughs) Xander Zayas, I'm always interested in, though his level of opposition is plateauing for now. Uh, Luis Alberto Lopez. Boy, he looked great beating Michael Conlin and winning me a pizza or two in the process. Uh, but Joette Gonzalez is the more interesting human story here. It's his third shot at a belt and certainly his best chance to win one. Shakur Stevenson, he had no chance. Emmanuel Navarrete, he had no chance. Against Luis Alberto <laughs> Lopez, he's the underdog, but at least it's not a pound-for-pound pound level talent he's taking on. He, he's a live dog in this one, or at least more live than he was in his other opportunities. All right. Okay. Let's finish
0: this week's episode with your top five assignment. Yes. Um, we are now under three weeks away from Jamel Charlo stepping up from 154 pounds to 168 to take on Canelo Alvarez. And the assignment for you this week, Eric, is to list your top five instances of fighters moving up in weight. Now, I'm aware that this is pretty vague and ill-defined, but that's somewhat by design. There are many ways to move up in weight. Mm. Um, You can do what Jamel is doing, jump up two weight divisions straight into a challenge of the world's best, or to use two other examples that you may decide to include. Um, Both Roberto Duran and Shane Mosley had several bouts at welterweight, having been lightweight champions before taking on Sugar Ray Leonard and Oscar De La Hoya, respectively. How much you factor that into your choices is entirely up to you. You might want to give extra weight to the folks who just Leapt up, not just one division, but two divisions, and took on the very best. Or you may feel like that slow build-up gets the extra points because ultimately proves to be more successful in the young in the long run. That, sir, is entirely up to you. As ever, there are no wrong answers. <laughs> right, uh but uh, so it's one
1: thing to clarify is all the examples that you gave from Charlo to the Duran and the Mosley ones were two division leaps even if whether they may be like right so, they don't so have to be two they don't have to be. Don't no, to be it just has to no, be a no, significant not. leap and what like i i can spoiler alert i will not be putting to to shout out uh jesus ramos jr's favorite fighter i will not be putting ricardo lopez finally going up from 105 to 108
0: right. on this list right <laughs> but, but but it can it be somebody who le- leapt up from who you know went from 105 to 108 to immediately take on or have moved you know, to uh, some killer champion and beaten them—that's right. that's acceptable too, right? Okay, example. so I can—it's—it's
1: so... it's all kind of in the eye of beholder how significant the weight increase yeah. is. Uh, exactly. Okay, I, I I like this and a nice tie-in with the big fight that uh, wow, just three weeks away, huh?
0: Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> I do not know, but uh, all right, this will this will this will be fun, and uh, yeah, this is the question everyone's asking about uh, Jamel Charlo: Can he? Can he make this big uh, leap? And uh, just interesting, having just watched the first episode of All Access that uh, Jamel Charlo was talking a lot about how uh, Canelo, he's not so big. And uh, you did notice Jermel's definitely the taller guy uh, here. So um, yeah. but uh, uh, if, if he were to pull this off, uh, this that could get top five inclusion uh, for fighters moving up in weight. But uh, it is obviously uh, not a fight to consider since it hasn't happened yet. Among fights that have happened, I think I have a lot to think about here. And now we don't have to preview Charlo Canelo because you just did it. <laughs> it's all done. It's all done. He's like, we, we don't have take to do eno- off. We don't have to do another podcast between now and the thirtieth, as far as I'm concerned. Nah.
0: we're good. Yeah, We're good. I, I love rag. it. Fantastic. All right, <laughs> that will do it for this and the next several episodes of Showtime Boxing with Raskin Amalvaney. As Eric mentioned, Canelo Charlo All Access episode one is now available. So do check that out. It is on demand and online and on streaming platforms. Uh, I guess you know what we will be back next week. Why the heck not? Uh, at least, at least that. you and Alfie will. We'll see at about least... me. <laughs> that, that's right. Depending on uh, Alfie's steroids, um, right. it might just be Alfie. <laughs> uh, he, he might have beaten me up uh, we will be uh, if we are back we'll be back next week with a post fight analysis of the show box card actually we should be back because we've got to we've, we owe it to yeah, more to come back just to you yeah, know we do all right one more fight one more podcast uh, we will also preview Zhang July, Joe Joyce 2 oh and you've got to answer the top five list oh, we do, do have to come back yeah. there we go and um, it says here in the notes there'll be more build up to the big September 30th pay-per-view <laughs> oh well uh, until then thanks as always for listening be safe